Hey there, everybody, and welcome to Cinema on Tap, your weekly movie podcast with a refreshing selection of movie reviews and industry topics on tap for discussion. As always, I am Scott Lentz, joined by my co-host and drinking buddy, Christian Ubius. Christian, what are you drinking tonight? Let me live vicariously through you. My dry January continues, and I am struggling. (laughs) Yeah, you came in and you saw that I had two beers in front of me, and you were like, by the way, I'm still not drinking. I was like, oh, I know. (laughs) They're both for me. I'm trying to live vicariously through you and your taste buds. Smog City Brewing Company's Moonbow Hazy IPA. Um... Bathe your senses in the ethereal light of Moonbow Hazy IPA. A rich tableau of tropical wonder rises from within each taste. Notes of bold passion fruit, mango, and guava are tempered by the subtle glow of tangerine berry and an effervescent kick of fresh peeled grapefruit. Wow. Shout out to the marketing department at uh, <laughs> they did, they did their job at, at brewery. And it's a it's a honestly sometimes I pick beer cans because of how they look. This looks good. I mean, it has a rainbow going in and out of an asteroid, so I I can respect your choice based on graphic alone. Uh, I hope your senses are properly bathed after you... This is is a nice hazy. This is a nice hazy. Please enjoy. Bathe your senses while we bathe our listening audience's ears Mm. in delightful film discussion. Mm -hmm. Uh, Today, Christian, is January 24th as we record this episode. Otherwise, national holiday. For the Oscar nominations. The Oscar nominations happened yesterday. Um, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, we celebrate them today. Yes, we are celebrating them today here on the show. Wanted to talk about them briefly. Obviously, we have films to discuss. We're wrapping up our January with Jesus month on the show. But do want to give some attention to the Oscar nominations, as you and I both follow them pretty closely, both in the build-up and the actual nominations, and we enjoy watching the Oscars. So, Christian, yes, this year's Best Picture nominees. I'll read the lineup, and then you tell me your general <laughs> thoughts here. So, <laughs> ten nominees this year. American Fiction, Anatomy of a Fall, Barbie, The Holdovers, Killers of the Flower Moon, Maestro, Oppenheimer, Past Lives, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest. How do you feel about those ten, Christian? Five of those movies were in my top ten movies of the year. Um, And I don't think the number's too far off for you. No, also five. (laughs) And several more appearing in my 11 through 20. That's incredible. That's kind of incredible. This was a stacked year. For, I saw the stupidest tweet recently, which is, once again, the film goers' tastes diverge from the Academy's tastes. Um, I go, you saw that tweet and so did I, because it was from Stephen King. Yes, that Stephen King, the writer of all those wonderful books that have made wonderful movies over the years. What did he watch last year? I really don't know. It's like he only saw Scream Fast, Six? Fast X and, and Barbie, <laughs> and that's it. No, I mean, this is... In my opinion, an awesome lineup. The only movie I'm really not a fan of is American Fiction, which I know a lot of other people have liked a lot more. I am with you. Yes. I'm not being a fan of that film. Yes. So sorry to all the good people who enjoyed American Fiction, but otherwise, really, really strong lineup here. Plus, movies that have been very like beloved and financially successful and aren't just like art films like Barbie and Oppenheimer are the one, are one of the two of the biggest movies of the year is Oppenheimer number 2 no because Mario 
So Barbie's number one. Three. Did Oppenheimer's three? Oppenheimer got re-released, right? Did it... I think it's back in some IMAX theaters right now. Did it cross a billion? Not according to Wikipedia, but has a chance to get there. I mean, other than that, you do have movies like The Zone of Interest, which I still have not seen, but yeah. will watch and catch up on before. Yeah. The Oscars themselves. Right. And, you know, the zone of interest, Anatomy of a Fall, definitely played the festival circuit, played in, in, in smaller runs, more art house theaters and such. But, like, the holdovers. People loved the holdovers. And that did, like, pretty well at the box office from what I can remember. Maestro was huge on Netflix once it released over the holidays, if I'm not mistaken. Past Lives was kind of a sleeper hit. Like, obviously it wasn't a blockbuster, but, again, just one of those movies that people really fell in love with and talked about all year long. So... I just there are some think movies. This is a great lineup. Yes, and uh, there are some movies that, uh, during certain years, sure, it feels like they're way more indie or that people haven't gotten a chance to see them. There are two ways to go about that that I think are correct ways to go about that. One of them is someone saying, "Hey, someone saying this is the best picture of the year, one of the ten best pictures of the year. Maybe I should go check it out." If that's you, instead of saying, "Why won't this nominate things I've watched?" Uh, other way to see that is maybe I should watch things that people are nominating. You maybe you hate it, but maybe you love it. Yeah, I think that's a good perspective, especially because yeah. popular movies do get nominated all the time. Top Gun Maverick, Avatar: The Way of Water, <laughs> these were Best Picture nominees. Uh, unfortunately, you know, Avengers: Endgame wasn't, but 1917 was, and that 19... made several hundreds of millions of dollars. Yeah, Black Panther was a Best Picture nominee. Bohemian Rhapsody, another movie that I hate, made bajillions of dollars and got a Best Picture nomination. So, popular movies get nominated for this award all the time. And you and I both—we've talked about this in the show before—but we used the Oscars when we were younger as a way of getting into movies beyond just the stuff that was like franchise things that we were seeing with our friends and our family. And being able to get into movies that were maybe a little bit more off the most popular path. And it's made us into people who go see Anatomy of a Fall as part of Beyond Fest here in Los Angeles and have awesome experiences. You know, Anatomy of a Fall, God bless it, Justine Trier got into Best Director. Yes, she did. Which is so incredible. I agree. I think that's an excellent choice here for that category. She's joined by Martin Scorsese, Christopher Nolan, Yorgos Lanthimos, and Jonathan Glazer for The Zone of Interest, which... If any of you out there recall my comments on uh, that movie during our Top 10 episode, I think is an incredibly well-deserved nomination. He uh, directs that film very distinctly and uniquely and leaves his mark on it. It's a very, very difficult film, difficult subject matter, but he has a clear goal and how he wants to present it, and I'm really glad to see his work nominated here. Amazing. I'm curious to see what you think of it, Christian. I know you've... What you've said like about it is that you're just... What you've heard about it, you're not sure if it's something that you'll like based on other movies that you do like. So I'm curious to see your thoughts once you get around to it. I'm I if it had not gotten nominated for an Oscar, not that an Oscar is an indicator whether or not I'm going to watch a movie, but I you know we all have the things that we think will interest us that lead us to want to try and check them out. Yeah. Um, I am I am I I keep hearing people saying this is a non-commercial filmmaker who has made his least commercial film. Which, it's, it's just, I, I keep putting it off and putting it off. Look, we're, the, the Oscars are coming soon. You might be at my apartment to watch them with me. I might invite some friends over. Who knows? Honestly. It's a, it's a mystery. <laughs> uh, what if I, okay. If I emailed Florence Pugh an invitation 
to come watch the Oscars at the apartment. You would be lucky if her assistant emailed you the singular word, no, period, <laughs> sent from my iPhone. <laughs> Speaking of Florence Pugh, she, she is not nominated for any of her work this year as an actress. For but but any, let's talk um, about some of the people who were. <laughs> um, something that'll make you happy, Christian. That already has made you happy. I'm so happy. Bradley Cooper nominated for Best Actor. Alongside him, Coleman Domingo for his work in Rustin. As yes. well as Paul Giamatti from The Holdovers. Yes. Killian Murphy from Oppenheimer. And Jeffrey Wright from American Fiction. Yes. I still need to see Rustin, although I'm very glad just that we live in a world where Coleman Domingo is now an Oscar nominee, because he's one of those guys who's just been consistently great when he shows up in Yo. movies or TV shows, and I'm really glad to see him when, recognized. When when um, when Zazie Beetz was reading off the names in Bradley Cooper's the first one, she goes, Bradley Cooper! <laughs> I was like, that is the correct pronunciation, yes. Yeah, gotta really um, hit that BR at the beginning. No, and Jeffrey Wright is an actor that both of us respect so much. I mean, he is one of those guys who is an incredible actor that just doesn't get leading roles in Hollywood, and his career has been more supporting Even roles and character parts, and so to see him in get the French spotlight like Dispatch, awesome. he might be the best actor within that entire film. Yeah. Um, I am also, this is not a French Dispatch podcast, we've already had that podcast so, um, never mind. Uh, I enjoyed the lineup. I enjoyed the lineup quite a bit. Um, I've told you, I think Killian Murphy gave the best leading male actor performance of last year, and I will root for Bradley Cooper. Because you are a shameless fool, Christian. But I'll be pulling for my boy Killian. I've floated the idea to someone that I would dress up as Oppenheimer when I go to an Oscar party, and they said, do it, you won't. So we'll have to see how that goes. I guess I would dress as Robert Oppenheimer. Uh, to come here? <laughs> if I invited you to an Oscars party, would you come? Yeah. I would. Would Maddie come? I don't know, because she goes to bed early for her uh, Well, that's <laughs> her good, because the Oscars are earlier this year. That's true. Yeah, so we'll, we'll explore that okay. possibility. So um, you and Maddie and Ruby are invited. Josie can't come. Well, I guess she barks at you every time she sees you, so that's too bad. Okay. Best Actress. Yes. Annette Bening for Nyad. I have not seen that movie. I don't know a lot of people have, Christian. <laughs> Lily Gladstone for Kill Us the Flower Moon. Incredible. Sandra Huller for Anatomy of a Fall. Fantastic. Carrie Mulligan for Maestro. Honestly, I'm dead. And Emma Stone for Poor Things. She was very good. How dare you, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say this. Um, I agree with you on Gladstone, Huller, and Mulligan. Very happy that all three of them were nominated. Emma Stone might be the single best performance I saw in any I... movie <laughs> last year. Okay. So the, the single best performance I have seen in any movie last year is coming up. I think Emma Stone did a really, really awesome job in Poor Things. It, it's, it's look, I've seen the movie. I'm not a fan. I think the movie's fine. I'm not a fan of it that much. But it's one of those where you need to... Um, if there's a performance like Renee Zellweger and Judy, where Renee Zellweger... It, no, Annette Benning in the memorial Renee Zellweger and Judy slot this year. <laughs> Although I, Renee I Zellweger's not dead. I think there's zero chance that Annette Benning wins, though. That's true. But Renee Zellweger gave. You still haven't seen that movie. Renee Zellweger nope. gave an inc <laughs> incredible performance in a movie that everyone has already forgotten the second they saw it. So Judy made forty-five million dollars at the box office, Christian. How is that even possible? No, okay, but, but, but here's the thing. If there was an amazing performance in a film that you are not a fan of, how do you grade that? 
you say that was an amazing performance of a film I'm not a fan of. Okay, but would you, <laughs> do you vote for it though? If if you, I I don't know. I mean, I'm not voting on these things. If I was, I would simply vote for my favorite performance. Okay, question, and this question comes with a wink. Okay, if I were voting on it. Yeah. What should I take into consideration? You should take in the performance into consideration, as well as whoever bribes you the most during the Oscar campaign, of course. As these things are not purely uh, meritocracy, but (laughs) you would naturally, I think, want to vote for Carrie Mulligan because you love Maestro and want to see it win some awards. I, um, as of right now, I think I would vote Sandra Hoover. She's incredible, and I can't blame you for that. Supporting actor. We got Sterling K. Brown for American Fiction, Robert De Niro for Killers of the Flower Moon, Robert Downey Jr. for Oppenheimer, Ryan Gosling for Barbie, and Mark Ruffalo for Poor Things. Okay. I will say, Sterling K. Brown. Yes. It made me so happy to see him nominated. I, although I was not a huge fan of American Fiction, loved his performance in that movie. I loved the character he played. And he's another one of those actors who is... Uh, maybe not been under-recognized, because he's had more of a, a breakout over the last few years, especially starting with This Is Us, which, I mean, I know that's, that show's already over, and it started a while ago, but... He was one of the greatest things in Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. When he showed up, I was like, yes, this is this is it. Yeah, he, he had a... Was he only in one season of that? Uh, I forget how long that, that kind pro- of arc ran, but... Season three? I think he yeah. was in season three. Yeah. Um, I think Ryan Gosling gave the first performance of anything, of anyone, last year. <laughs> I think Ryan Gosling deserves all the laurels. I actually think not only should he take the Oscar home, they should present him with a sash and flowers. Interesting. And a crown a la the Olympics. I loved Gosling and Barbie. I think him, his work as Ken is phenomenal, and yes. I love to see the Oscars recognizing comedies. Yes. Uh, if Robert Downey Jr. doesn't win, I might um, drive to the Oscars and uh, set myself aflame in front of them. So... I'm pulling for my boy RDJ. I'm pulling for so. my boy RG. And uh, <laughs> a joint, you know, joint uh, suicide pact. Not in that we would both do it, but that if uh, one of us loses, they have to do it. Okay. What if, um, in respect for the other person, I dress up as Robert Downey Jr. in Oppenheimer, and you dress up as Ryan Gosling in Barbie that to be, this Oscars party? That's totally fine with me. <laughs> Supporting actress. <laughs> Supporting actress, Emily Blunt for Oppenheimer. Yes. Danielle Brooks for The Color Purple. Yes. America Ferreira for Barbie. Y- yes. Jodie Foster for Nyad, a movie we both definitely have not uh, seen. were excited to see nominated. <laughs> and Divine Joy Randolph for The Holdovers. Okay, I'm going to say one thing and then put all my praise on someone. Okay. I liked America Ferreira's performance. I also liked America Ferrera's performance. I wouldn't have nominated it for an Oscar, but well, I, I did okay, like her performance. Look, it's one of those where... You know what? Let me talk about race. Take it away, Christian. <laughs> there, were, there were a lot of times, and you still see it, when some cool performances that don't take a lot of time during a movie um, has allowed the Academy to nominate white actors or where the players were very deserving... Actor of color could have been nominated for a movie that, I don't know, maybe was less successful or just flat out racism people didn't like. You played Judy Garland in the movie, and even though you already have an Oscar, we decided we're going to give you another one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Shout yes. out Renee Zellweger. <laughs> it's not a good shout out. Um, I did not like American fiction at all. And yes, you know, America Ferrera was not one of the performances that was on my mind after watching Barbie. 
well, except for the speech at the end. However, the fact that nowadays it's like, uh, hey, we like these actors and they are actors of color. And the fact that tides have turned is something to celebrate within the Academy for some things that wouldn't normally, I think, be on people's minds. Yeah, notably, three out of the five nominees are um, non-white actresses in that category. I'm not sure how uh, frequently that has happened for acting categories. Let me tell you, not very often in the history of the Oscars. So I think the it is... The tides are changing. Yeah, it is cool to see tides changing. Not in that we need to have like three non-white actresses every year in this category, but just to say that it is cool that this can now happen and, we're, and people are willing to recognize... More actresses, actresses are like actors and actresses are getting to play different types of parts. That being um, said, Divine yeah. Joy Randolph not only ha- already has this Oscar signed, sealed, and at her doorstep. Yeah, they've probably if, already finished engraving it. Um, like if anyone takes this away from them, meet me at the parking lot outside. <laughs> like, yeah, you honestly. Know, I, it's tough, because I, not only have I not seen Nyad and can't say anything about Jodie Foster's role in it, but I haven't seen The Color Purple either. I have not either. Um, I wanted to, and... It's two hours and 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> it's, um, it is a movie. Some people have told me this, that uh, it's, it's difficult when you're making a musical about a very traumatic event, because uh, you see someone suffering as they are being taken off by an abusive husband to all of those children i say see more musicals <laughs> but okay uh, <laughs> nowadays nowadays it's one of those where do i want to spend my time watching people saying but how people are taking them away i don't know i think this thing about more things than that in the musical to be fair but still a movie i'm hoping to see so i can get a sense of danielle brooks's performance for sure it's not streaming available yet because it's still in theaters, but... You know what we should do more? Fingers crossed. What? We should curse more in these episodes because I bleeped so much out of The Last Temptation of Christ. Why? Remember the Paris thing? Uh, I don't remember the Paris Oh. <laughs> this is getting bleeped I, also. I said Christian Ubius is not... Uh, uh, just a couple, anything else you wanted to talk about? That's kind of the big categories, of course. Um, How dare you? Screenplay. Saying uh, screenplays are not important. Well, Christian, they're very important. On this podcast, it's not about the Oscars. They're not as important. So. What? <laughs> How much time have we been recording, Christian? 18 minutes. And, and what did I say? Seconds I said should... 10 minutes at most in our outline. Let's quick, quick, quickly talk on the screenplay categories. Next time we're going through the screenplays first. No. Quickly talk about the screenplays, Christian. <laughs> I, I think these are also some good nominations for the most part, but I'm curious if you have any thoughts. Uh, sure. Go read through them. Uh, original screenplay, Anatomy of a Fall, The Holdovers, Maestro, May, December, and Past Lives. An adapted screenplay was American Fiction, Barbie, Oppenheimer, Poor Things, and The Zone of Interest. It is the low nomination for May, December, which is a movie I like. I am so glad to see it nominated here, and I am uh, waging a war on the Academy for leaving out not only Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman, but Charles Melton as well. Fantastic ensemble. Wish that their work would have been recognized, but this is a screenplay category. Cool. And for adapted screenplay... Don't hit me with cool, Christian. How dare you? I told you. I'm only going to be positive on this episode. (laughs) Well, on this episode regarding the Oscars. Um, Look... I, uh, here's the thing. I actually don't know who's going to win because I think that a case can be made for Oppenheimer. A case can be made for Barbie. 
a case can be made for American fiction. I think a case could be made for. Yeah, I, it's uh, my least favorite script from from these five, and that like of the five in that category. I think those but, are the top three. But I think what we often see from the Oscars is they will award some, like say Emerald Fennell. Emerald Fennell won the Oscar for Promising Young Woman a couple of years ago. And a lot of times the Oscars like to award a first-time screenwriter, you know, who comes out with a big, buzzy script. Uh, Cord Jefferson, being a writer-director, his film got nominated for Best Picture, can totally see a world where he ends up uh, winning this category, uh, kind of in an upset over Nolan for Oppenheimer or Barbie for Gerwig and Baumbach, but we shall see. We shall see. Okay, love screenplays, love this. I think I... I don't know. You know what? Let's just keep going. Let's move on. Much more we could say about the Oscars, and we, and we will. will. Closer to the actual ceremony. We, so, okay. Yes. I am going to choose a person, and they're going to come in, and we are going to make bingo cards about people who we predict will win at the Oscars, and the person who gets the most correct gets to dedicate an episode in the middle of a month that has nothing to do with it. They, they basically get a free... They get a free pass to, not necessarily even about a movie, but about a director's filmography, an appreciation video, a, a top five list on something that has nothing to do with that much. You get a free card, and this will have the, the, the guest the guest wins. They can also do it, but all three of us will then participate in that episode. Okay, sounds fun. So yes. are we sharing that widely, like with the listeners, or is it just in person? No, no, no. We'll share that widely with the listeners. Alrighty, folks. Hey, keep your uh, you know keep your ears open. We have some but fun stuff to. The person who will not be consider. on that episode is Keenan Culler because if I hear him talk one more time about a specific category, I'm gonna lose it. I'm gonna fight you, Keenan, which is a thing that I've said many times before. And one day I'll put my money where my mouth is. Keenan could take you so easily. Excuse me. <laughs> okay, look, Keenan. Father of three children has dad strength, but father of three children, that man is tired. He hasn't he hasn't been well rested in years. Meanwhile, you father of two dogs. I'm the father of two dogs. I got I got rest for days. Uh, I'm out here. I'm I'm ready to tussle, Christian. Speaking of ready to I love tussle, you, Scott, so much. I'm ready to tussle with you, Christian, as we return to Jesus Himself. Movies, <laughs> movies that we've been tussling on Love all you, month. Jesus. Actually, you were not a big fan of The Last Temptation of Christ by Martin Scorsese. I was. And I was not as big a fan of The Passion of the Christ by Mel Gibson. You were more supportive. I think you respect Passion of the Christ. It's something where... You, I, I, I don't hate it. That's that's where yeah, I'll okay. that. But now High we praise. get to talk about uh, two very interesting uh, Jesus movies. It's more Jesus in quotes because these are not just comedies but satires about Jesus and his role in the world in which he is relegated to a supporting or even cameo role and we focus instead on different central characters. And those two movies are the classic Monty Python comedy Life of Brian and the new release from James Samuel, The Book of Clarence, which is where yes. we will be starting our conversation today. Amazing. Definitely want to chat through that new release and see your thoughts on it, Christian. Mm-hmm. Just some quick thoughts on The Book of Clarence before we get into our discussion. As I said, brand new release from James Samuel, released in theaters a couple of weeks ago by the time people are hearing this episode. Samuel served not only as the writer and director, but also the composer. He has a background in music and produced many songs for this film with folks like Jay-Z, who's also a credited producer on the movie. And it follows Lakeith Stanfield playing Clarence, A man living at the time of Christ who looks to capitalize on Jesus' newfound fame, 
uh, trying at first to become the 13th apostle before settling instead on a different plan to position himself as a second messiah, the true messiah, in order to pay back a debt that he owes and impress the woman he loves. Uh, joining Lakeith Stanfield in the cast are Omar Sy, RJ Seiler, Anna Diop, David Ayelowo, Michael Ward, and Caleb McLaughlin, among others, Christian. Um, I'll say, and Benedict Cumberbatch, <laughs> whose name is featured prominently in some of the ads, and I was like, wait a second, he's in the movie, and then had a very indelible role in this film. Uh, unfortunately, The Book of Clarence is not doing very well at the box office right now. It debuted very low, and to date, despite being out for a couple of weekends so far, it's still around $5 million at the worldwide box office, despite its budget. So unfortunate for our guy James Samuel, but I will say, Christian, I'm going to come out and say I was a fan of this movie, and okay. I'm looking forward to getting your thoughts. Okay. So let's just jump right in with your opening question here. Uh, in this movie, naturally, as I said already, Jesus is not the main character, but a True Blue supporting character. Because this has been January with Jesus Month, I want to ask you, how did you feel about the portrayal of Jesus in this film, who is played by Nicholas Pinnock? And not just his portrayal, but how did you feel about uh, the way that the movie treated Jesus, especially through the eyes of Lakeith Stanfield's Clarence? Okay. I told you I was going to do something at the beginning of this review. Yes. Tell me, yes. what do you think I thought about the Book of Clarence and Life of Brian? Well, okay. For the Life of Brian, you had seen that movie before, correct? No. Oh, no. Okay. I had seen... Well, I had seen snippets of it. Okay. For Life of Brian, I'm going to say you thought it was funny, but you were not maybe a massive fan overall because of the its relationship to religion, shall we say. For Book of Clarence, I'm going to go out onto a limb, Christian, and I'm going to say you liked this movie, especially because of where it resolves. Okay. Okay. Do you want me to reveal my thoughts on both or just on Book of Clarence right now? Just on Book of Clarence. I liked it. I thought that it took a second to find its footing, though. And I, I don't know if this is an issue of me coming in with uh, preset expectations. Maybe that's part of it. I was expecting something funnier. So was I. I think that's part of the way the movie has been marketed. It's been marketed as more of a comedy. And it's not – there's certainly funny moments, funny, but it's not – it's not trying to only be a comedy. And it's not slapstick, and they really commit to the bit of, of being serious. This is this is a drama that has comedic elements to it. And and that was jarring to me at the beginning. I think uh, you want to ask me about the portrayal of Jesus within this. This movie does something that I think a lot of movies are afraid to do. And it showcases Jesus as a miracle worker. Yeah, that's just plainly displayed. <laughs> he just, he pulls off things that humans cannot do. And he does it multiple times. And they are really regal and cool to look at. And none of them are canonical whatsoever. But not, uh, not entirely. There, not, there, are, there are, are you talking about the walking in water? No, um, there, there's a different scene uh, in which R.J. Seiler's character has an interaction with uh, him and Tayana Taylor, who is playing Mary Magdalene. That's that is definitely not in the text. That that is that is inspired by something from the Bible. That is also yes. depicted in Last Temptation of Christ, actually, with Mary Magdalene. The being, stopping um, of the stones in midair. 
Well, in Last Temptation of Christ, Jesus saves Mary Magdalene from being stoned. And there's disagreement from biblical scholars on if she was actually a woman in that position. There is a story of Jesus stopped, like saving a woman from being stoned to death, a woman who was caught in adultery. We don't think it was Mary Magdalene, but a lot of times it's portrayed that way in, in media. And once again, they return to that with her about to be the victim of a stoning, and Jesus once again saves her. This time, he does it through supernaturally stopping stones in the air, which, if you're worried about spoilers for this new release, that is in the trailer, so I assume you have seen that image, at least. Uh, so pardon the minor spoiler there, but it's something we've already talked about this month in terms of Jesus and the other figures in his life. The Look, this is one of those where, um, I, I will tell you this, I did not find The Life of Brian offensive. And I think that these movies did something really, really smart. Again, not betraying my thoughts on Life of Brian, which is the central figure was not Jesus. Because when the central figure is Jesus, I think there's a lot to live up to. When the central figure is not the most famous person who has ever existed, I think there's some room to to, to, to play. And they, and they don't make these miracles out to be hokey. They don't, they, they, they've spent a lot of time thinking through what would be the most, I don't know, realistic portrayal of what's going on here. I really, really liked that. I'm totally with you on that because I was unsure of how Jesus would be portrayed in uh, the book of Clarence, especially because the premise is that Clarence is trying to take advantage of Jesus's fame to help himself <laughs> and to serve his own ends. And so I, and because I thought it would be more of a comedy, I thought there might be a more sardonic or, you know, kind of caustic tone about Jesus and what he was doing. And what's interesting is that like you said, Jesus is played basically as he's portrayed in the Bible. Pinnock is, um, like, you use the word regal, and, and I would say yes to that a little bit, but he's not self-important. Like, he is, he's playing it with a, with a humble grace, I would say. Whereas Stanfield is playing Clarence as lovable, but, like, kind of brash, and... The reason I'm thinking regal, I'm thinking about the miracle he did with the coin yes. in the dude's hand. yes. I know what you mean by that. Uh, but Clarence is is that like out and out an atheist, which is not really something you see portrayed in these types of biblical costume dramas. This we is a of, man coming to faith movie. Yeah, yeah, it's about him encountering Jesus, you know, and, and having a, a reaction to him that is normally only found in like explicitly faith-based films. But, um, but Clarence himself goes on a, a real hero's journey and he starts the movie out as kind of a a little bit of a screw-up who's in a very common movie plot. He is in debt to a local crime lord <laughs> and needs to get out of debt or else he will be in trouble with this person. And he's trying to scheme his way to not freedom necessarily, but to safety, shall we say. And it's not entirely paralleled, but you do have Jesus returning to the movie repeatedly and approaching life with with his supernatural powers, but also with, with grace and humility and, and, and love, love for the world. And, and stopping yeah. violence and uh, anti-hitting anyone and gathering people together, which is also kind of interesting because we get a good look at his disciples and his disciples are schmucks. <laughs> which uh, is, again, somewhat true of the Bible, is that yes. they, they are often portrayed as... 
uh, either acting kind of dumb. They're often dumb, asking like unwise questions, acting selfish. Yeah, acting selfishly or brashly. There's a an episode of the Bible that I chuckle at now, but where some village rejects Jesus, and so two uh, of the brothers and his apostles like ask Jesus, "Should we pray and have the like God rain down fire and brimstone on this village?" And Jesus is like. No, I don't think you guys should do that. I love that you um, said there's an episode of the Bible. Well, there is. It's a, it's an episode, you know. There's also a part a of the Bible where the prophet Elisha prays for she bears to mile a group of teenagers, and they do it. And they do it. Yes, the Bible's so, an interesting book. No, 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 no. So it's like a. What, what am I trying to say? That has a biblical basis in, 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 in God smiting down someone's enemies. Right. So it, it is uh, in here. I would not have been surprised if Book of Clarence had gone with the slightly more wrathful God because it's already be trying to be, I don't know, edgy. But, um, oh, by the way, moving unapologetically black, which, yes, awesome. Like, and honestly? I, and, I, I mean, look, I am a white man and I understand that. So, you know, I speak within my limitations. The number of times you've said that you are a white man on Everybody this has podcast. to know, Christian. Gotta, gotta clarify yes. my identity and my biases. But, I, I mean, I mean that to say I am no expert of, like, African-American life on film. But one thing I, I appreciated a ton about The Harder They Fall, which is James Samuel's film yeah. before this, and now The Book of Clarence is that they are unapologetically black. There's, like... Almost everybody in this movie, like, the black people are playing the, shall we say, the ancient Hebrews, I suppose. And the white people are playing the Romans. And there is essentially no distinct, like, there is no overlap anywhere. And not only that. There's one white person who's not playing a Roman. Very true. Very true. And I don't want to say who it is because <laughs> it's it pays off well. Um, but not only that, the approach to the movie is very similar to The Heart of They Fall, where Samuel is... Re like bringing up a genre that is not as popular anymore. First, it was a western. Now it's this biblical epic, and remixing it, reinterpreting it through an African American lens. I believe that the harder they fall must be Tarantino's favorite movie of that year. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, but it's certainly walking a bit in the lineage of of some of his movies, especially the the westerns that he's made. But. I mean, even in the Book of Clarence, like, he once again uses a hip-hop and R&B-infused soundtrack. There's a scene it's during... Kinda, it's kind of epic. It's it's awesome. The songs are great. And it there's, like, a scene at a party where Clarence is trying to have a moment with Verinia, played by Anna Diop, who's this woman that he loves and is trying to impress throughout the movie. And there's a, a kind of a short dance sequence where some of the men are dancing, some of the women are dancing... And, they're kind of doing like a guys versus gals yeah. thing. But it's too like an R&B song in this biblical epic. And you wouldn't think that like just hearing that written out or reading it written out, you would think that doesn't really make sense. But in James Samuel's vision, it totally works. And even when they leave that, there's this little touch where it just feels like a house party. Like uh, Verinia and Clarence leave and they're talking and you can hear it still playing inside the house. It feels like there's a DJ in there who's just still playing the same song he was playing a second ago. It, it's such a nice touch, and it really creates a world and helps this movie feel bigger than it, it may have without that very clear artistic vision. Can, okay, let me say something which is my only critique of this movie. I almost feel like the comedy wasn't needed in so many of the scenes because it, it, it felt like they were forcing the comedy, whereas the drama, especially in... Uh, 
Clarence's relationship to his brother Thomas, one of Jesus's disciples, was going through, it, it, it sometimes felt forced. Now, there are times where the comedy is working so beautifully, when 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 the line "We can rebuild him" is set is said. Do you, are you remembering it? I'm trying to so trying it's, so hard. It's to right before. Oh the, yes, yeah. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. That that whole scene it's is playing oh, for laughs and pretty hilarious. Oh yeah. man! It, it comes to the end, so we won't say what's happening. But yeah. But the, the the weed scene wasn't. I don't know. It felt like it felt forced. Um, the where they like sit down then and they're floating. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> notably, Clarence is portrayed as like a small time weed dealer i forget what they call it in the movie but it's it's called like wait wait it's time for beer number two christian's gonna crack open beer number two really trying to get ready to roll for life of brian in, in a minute here but he's like portrayed as a weed dealer but then they go and sit down and smoke like a hookah so, so maybe opium or something and that they're they literally start, start floating, floating and going in circles and it's... clarence gets an idea which samuel portrays as almost literally having a light bulb go off over his head like something lights up above his head and rj styler whose his character's named elijah elijah points over and says clarence like i think you have an idea or something like that um which again like when the comedy is working it totally does and i do agree that yeah tonally there is some inconsistency like what i wasn't expecting is for the movie to open with dramatic music a choir singing and holding out a big sustained note zooming in on a huge array of people being crucified and zooming in to lakeith stanfield's clarence which is the opening moment of the movie before it cuts to the title card and then there's this tension throughout the movie of wondering is that going to come to pass are we going to get there and especially as he gets into trouble you you are, are wondering like is he going to get out of that situation is that like a dream he had like what is going to happen and that does hang over the movie because as we've discussed in the last two movies we've talked about during this month crucifixion is a horrible way to die it is an absolutely horrific way of executing someone and this and one they don't showcase the horrors of crucifixion as much as in last week's movie that is very true uh the passion of the christ is certainly in a league of its own in that regard but there there is some of the the more serious subject matter that is almost like from a it, it's like the comedy um it's from a different movie even though it works there it's not like it's completely out of whack with the tone but there are moments where you're kind of wanting maybe i just wish you would have committed fully one way or another been a straight drama or or been a, a laugh out loud comedy um and, and are you in are we in agreement on that i i i understand except that i actually think the movie did make a choice and it made the choice to be dramatic yeah, there's in, in there the, is that even though that scene you brought up we can rebuild him where that comes later in the movie yes that is sort of the standout comedic moment where we've sort of and, taken a shift into the dramatic from there so there are there are a couple of different scenes for example there's the scene of clarence meeting jesus's mother mary and his father yeah uh mary here being played by alfred woodard who's yes. definitely an actress people will recognize and, and okay maybe this is a bad example because the scene is kind of funny he, he keeps questioning her being a virgin or having been a virgin when jesus was born and and, and it, it is funny to see that but it's actually a really critical moment of the film where he is encountering someone and the jesus at this point in his life is 33 years old 
And while encountering this person, being with one who has seen a man that so many people grow up to admire, say nothing but the most passionate, intricate things. And when Alfred Woodard is speaking with, with Clarence, she understands that this is a man who is lost. And that cynicism that is there does not need to be there. And she, outside of slapping him on the head for calling her a liar for <laughs> being a virgin. Which is fair. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's a tough thing for people to believe. Is it's hilarious in this. It, it, it's, it's also so crucial to understanding the rest of the character and the rest of the tone. Um, and what else? When he is talking with Mary Magdalene, Tayana Taylor, Tayana Taylor also doing an amazing job within this, this idea and understanding of all the shame that she has gone through, you read that and you are gripping on every line. And sometimes the comedy takes you out of wanting to hear what the rest of what they're saying is. But overall, this movie is really cool. And I am very intrigued with what James Samuel, what genre or trope James Samuel is going to recontextualize next, because that's what he's doing. He's recontextualizing. He's not redefining or subverting. He's just putting in all black people in it. Yeah, I mean, I, I really think, like I said uh, earlier, I said remixing it. And, I, and it's not just that Samuel has a, a musical background, and so we're using a musical term. It's that... You know, we're taking these old things and making them fresh and new, um, giving it a, a, a spin on something we've seen a lot before. I mean, for example, the shortly after that opening sequence I just talked about, we see Clarence and Elijah in a chariot race with Mary Magdalene. And the chariot race is like the, one of the most iconic sequences from Ben-Hur, another movie that features Jesus in, you know, in a smaller supporting role and not as the central character. Um, so there, he knows his references, like he's like referencing Ben Hur and the Last Temptation of Christ and these other movies, but putting his own unique modern spin on things. I am just really disappointed to see that the lukewarm reception this has gotten at the box office. I think, obviously, with the the rash of awardsy movies coming out in November and December, holidays coming through, you know, January, not always the best time of the year for box office uh, just kind of sucks um, that that the book of Clarence completely came and went and to the point where I'm not sure if we asked people where we're you know we live in Los Angeles so if we reach out to people where we're from from Ohio from Florida and ask them if they've even heard about this movie I'm curious how many people would have like I, I feel like it's one of those movies that maybe got lost in the cycle and if you weren't going to the movies a lot and seeing trailers or keeping an eye out for what James Samuel is going to do after The Heart of They Fall you might have missed it so I would really strongly encourage people to check this one out. And I'm glad to say we both are doing that. You know, this is a recommendation from the both of us. Definitely see the book of Clarence and give it your time. It is, it's well worth it. Um, it let's, yeah, let's move on to the life of Brian. Yes. So now life of Brian, which if you are unfamiliar out there, folks is the, um, technically third, but you know, it's really second feature from Monty Python, the, the classic British comedy troupe comprised of Graham Chapman, John Cleese, Terry Gilliam, Eric Idle, Terry Jones, and Michael Palin. Most people out there may know Monty Python and the Holy Grail 
which I feel like these days is a little bit more popular, partially because I think that one's PG and this one is R, so just poor people see Holy Grail when they're younger because <laughs> their parents let them. Uh, but Holy Grail is certainly a movie that I, it's one of my favorites of all time. It's one of my favorite comedies ever, and I've been meaning to see Life of Brian forever, and this finally gave me an excuse to do it. It follows Graham Chapman as Brian, Brian Cohen specifically, who is a young uh, Jewish Roman man, uh, half Jewish, half Roman, who is born on the same day as in the same town as Jesus and is uh, not only mistaken at the time, but uh, later on in his life mistaken as a potential Messiah and people begin following him. And, I hate when that happens. Yeah, I, I do too. And this is uh, very certainly a very broad comedy. You are supposed to laugh the entire time. <laughs> it's not like uh, not like some secret dramedy like Book of Clarence. Okay, um... Did you like this film? Absolutely loved it. Okay. <laughs> maybe not maybe not to the degree that I loved Holy Grail, but I I thought Life of Brian was hilarious. Um, and, and certainly had some uh, some provocative ideas, shall we say. <laughs> I don't agree with everything that they're getting at in this movie, but certainly agree with some of it. What about you? I mean, I don't know what they were getting at in this movie. I thought it was fine. <laughs> I'm actually not that big of a fan. There were some moments that had me laughing, but overall, I didn't find this movie offensive at all. And I think it's a great portrayal of Jesus in this movie. Yeah, so again, much like Book of Clarence, very, yeah. like, Jesus is portrayed as Absolutely. A, a straightforward, supernatural, God-powered person. He's, um, he's only really in the beginning. And yeah, in Life of Brian, like, and there's a very funny sequence at the beginning of the movie where the three wise men accidentally roll up on Brian's mother yep. and baby Brian before going to find Jesus. Well, I, I meant there's one and then he's doing yes. the Sermon on the Mount. And then we, we the next thing you see is the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus is he's preaching and doing uh, the Beatitudes, which a lot of people may not know what those are, but they may recognize when they hear him saying them. And then it, he, he's portrayed completely straight. Like, it's just, honest to goodness, guy playing Jesus. Um, that actor is actually Kenneth Colley. People might recognize his face because he was in The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So, might recognize that face, but he is just doing the Beatitudes. And then it cuts to the guys of Monty Python in the back of the crowd... And the, the jokes begin with Jesus saying, blessed are the peacemakers. And someone says, blessed are the cheesemakers. Yep. <laughs> and then we're off to the funny races because okay, Jesus this, disappears from the, the movie the, after that point. I, this movie follows in the lineage of something like Airplane. Well, not lineage because it came out before Airplane. Where <laughs> it, it's, it's Monty Python. Like it's, 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 it's sketch it's, comedy for the are, most part in a very, very loose plot. And they're also parodying this like biblical yeah. epic style of filmmaking. They're making fun Look, of certain elements of making light of, shall we say, certain know, elements I, of like the Christian story and all sure, that. Sure. I don't know. I, I wasn't offended at all by this movie. I just didn't think the jokes were that funny that time. Look... They're, I, they're, they're they, 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 no, they seem forced. They seem forced, hundred percent. Like when I he's hate when running. comedies try to make me laugh. That is not at all what forced is. <laughs> like when he's running away from the people who think that he's the Messiah, and he hides in a hole, and there's a man who's already living in the hole. <laughs> okay, Christian, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tell you right now. Um, Michael Palin is uh, the guy who plays the man living in the hole. And, of sure. course, he plays several roles in this movie, as do all of the, the Pythons. Um, like, but he might like, be... like Brian also plays a character named Biggest Dickus. Indeed he does. Uh... <laughs> and, 
And if you look at the Wikipedia page in parentheses, it says, who has a lisp? Uh, and, and he assuredly does. Uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of comedy made the uh, Pontius Pilate, who's played by Michael Palin, having a, an R lisp. Uh, so, you know, he, he all of his, you know, he, he says things like, relax, you know, it's not like a re, it's, you know, I, there's better ways of saying that. But then, uh, yes, Biggest Dickus has okay. an S lisp. Who, but I bring okay. up Michael Palin because yes, he might have been my it. favorite individual python in this movie. He had me cracking up and laughing out loud. <laughs> entire time and I thought his role as the the guy whose vow of silence is broken at the bottom of this whole hysterical <laughs> wait who's who's the woman that um, that Brian sleeps with yes so there are a few women who are mixed into the there casting. are very few um, very few I mean even Brian's mother is portrayed by Terry uh, yeah. Jones yeah. yeah but that woman is Sue Jones Davies playing Judith Iscariot <laughs> But that is the only character that she plays. She okay. plays Judith. So, so there is a scene where after he sleeps with her, he wakes up. I think she also believes he's the Messiah. He wakes up and he's naked and he goes out to the window and he opens. It's like, ah, such a good day. And he opens it to all of his followers being like, Brian, the Messiah. And, and observing then his still naked body. <laughs> his still naked body is there. And I was like, Sure. I no no no. Look, why, I why are you only talking about the times when people are naked in this movie, Christian? What are you trying to get at? It wasn't funny. <laughs> You're insane. For that. No, it wasn't funny. Or the time when where where's where's this other time? Like when Jesus is talking and giving the Sermon on the Mount. And then people are being like, blessed are the cheese makers. Like, just because they can't hear what he's saying. And they go into like, what are you saying? What? What? It's like a who's on second kind of a bit. Great bit to start the movie with. I don't think so. I like, <laughs> I think that if you're going to devolve into sketch comedy, you need to start off with a little bit more plot. So, here's the thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. What's the thing? Uh, Life of Brian. Yeah. I actually, like, what I will say is, is yes. Similar to the Holy Grail. There is a thing... I have seen Holy Grail, and yes. I love Holy Grail, so it it's not that, a sketch comedy. Effect. Then, in light of that, it makes absolutely no sense to me that you don't like this movie, because they are so similar. Because it is funnier. They, I, I would I would say, I agree, Holy Grail might be funnier, but like I still thought Life of Brian was hilarious, because of the same reasons that I love Holy Grail. There is a thin through line. It's not pure sketch comedy, but it's very much like, scene to scene, we're kind of finding a bit and rolling with it. Like, we're making fun of Pontius Pilate's... Uh, his speech impediment. Uh, the, there's a crowd that gathers late in the movie as Pilate starts offering to them, like, it's that time of year where I set a criminal free, except he says a criminal free. And they start trying to get him to say names with R's in them. Like, what about Roderick? And he's like, all right, we will allow Waterwick to go free. And his associate, you know, the, the centurion with him has to be like, we don't have a Roderick. Um, so yeah, it's like they're picking up on you know different gags or bits scene by scene, but it's not like a sketch movie. Like there is a, a thin but consistent through line about Brian's experiences. I want. I, I think that you should start off slightly more than devolve, because uh, there is a through line of the second half of this movie of Brian consistently being viewed as a type of messiah or leader and yeah. people all going for him. And the, I, like, understood storyline is that Brian is mistaken for the messiah. That doesn't really happen until, like, almost an hour oh, into this 90-minute movie. <laughs> it, it's a while in, and then at that point I go, okay. Because, like, beforehand, there's a scene where he is selling 
weird animal bits at a at a coliseum <laughs> he's like he's working as you know like at baseball games guys walk around with cold no. beer or they walk around with okay. like popcorn or okay, so cracker he, jacks no, that's okay. what he's doing but let, with like animal, well, animal let me bits let, let me give a critique of all movies that came out in the 1970s oh. <laughs> <laughs> all movies in the 70s christian here we go there's they, there's no score or music ever underlying it. All okay. movies in the 70s? What are you talking about? Give me a second. No. Um, give me a second. <laughs> give me a second. I'm doing this for dramatic effect. Okay? Okay, okay. And so you need to rely purely on the writing and on the strength of the actress. And if it's not there, it feels forced to me. Like when I watch, okay, so that is any comedy. What are you that talking is about? Any comedy, I know. It's just that I am. I have seen a couple seventies comedies recently, and I notice it so much that they underlie their. They they don't use a score too much when the people are talking, so that you can truly, truly hear what it is the joke is. But when the joke's not funny, it's not funny to me because it it it, it there's there I don't. No, I mean the the cheesiest example of this is the laugh track, of of man watch or hearing people react to it makes me feel some type of way whether I believe it or not. No, you selling random weird animal parts in a coliseum does not make me think of anything. The people uh, yelling after you after you throw a sandal at them and then be like, man, there are three different interpretations for this sandal. Uh, Doesn't yes. Did it make me feel it? I'd like to make points with my comedy. Satire. Love a good satire. Don't you, Christian? You're a turd. No, you're a turd. I mean, <laughs> let's, let's be real about Let's be real about something. We're engaged in something that this show is, frankly, like it should be famous for, in which we're looking at a movie that has been considered the greatest something of all time, in this case, greatest comedy film of all time, 96% on Rotten Tomatoes, and you're like, I am with the 4% here. I don't think this is the greatest comedy film of all time, but you're, you're coming out with a hot take about Life of Brian not being funny, which I just... Is. I, just, I just don't have get. you seen airplane recently i have not seen airplane i've actually not seen airplane ever and i know it's it, like airplane is a spoof uh specifically so it's a little bit different but well, spoof satire they're they're that similar dna to them i'm like the <laughs> first these subject like these words mean things <laughs> like, i'm not saying airplane four, can't be the first 45 minutes of airplane i'm like wow is this movie perfect and the second 45 minutes i go hmm and that's kind of how I feel about Life of Brian. Where the I second hope the mic picked up your grumbling there, Christian. The second forty-five minutes, I go, oh, all right, all right, all right. The first forty-five minutes, I was like, eh. <laughs> edit that out. Good grief! We're talking about the Lord on this episode, Christian. You're belching and besmirching a classic. So. You didn't laugh. I'm just going to run down some of the good bits in this movie. Go for it. You didn't laugh uh, when the revolutionary anti-Roman group that Brian joins starts uh, fighting with the other revolutionary anti-Roman group. Nope. I also didn't laugh when they hid from the Romans in plain sight. (laughs) Something's wrong with you. You Did you laugh at the ex-leper? Nope. When he's he's chasing after Brian? Yes. Nope. (laughs) Which again, like that scene is hilarious to me because it is edited so well. The Pythons had 
like they knew how to act across from one another at that point. They were great writers. And this whole bit is this guy has been, he's still hanging out with the lepers, trying to live as a beggar, even though he has no reason to anymore. And he's mad at Jesus and calls him a bloody do-gooder because he's healed him of his leprosy and therefore taken away his begging livelihood from him. And you didn't find that funny, Christian. Nope. That's, that's a great shame. Not a, uh, yeah, sure. Did you laugh at the, when, when Brian got scooped up by aliens? No, I thought that was the worst part of this movie. I knew you would. Because I thought there's something was, broken with you. I thought that was truly the most atrocious part of this movie. It had nothing to do with the film. And I knew Dude, that... No, no, no. Stop it. Stop it. I know it's this comedy. I know it's this spoof on everything. I know that it also comes a little bit on religion. Look, and I thought, this since, is stupid. Since, this is stupid. I don't care about these aliens. It feels like you're trying to salvage part of the movie. And I know that part of sketch comedy not is throwing... Everything at the wall. That's, that's I not, hated those that's aliens. That's not part of sketch comedy. That that's just like that is Monty Python's like set, like I'm not a Python expert, but it's like that's their absurdist style. And having a situation where Brian gets to the top of a, like an unfinished staircase, has nowhere else to go, so he jumps and gets scooped up by aliens is so absurd to the point no. of like of ridiculousness. Not at all. I thought. Which, oh, this is okay. Cool. So so uh, so you literally don't know how to write this film. Amazing. No, you. That actually made me mad, Christian. Uh, do you do you laugh at haggle properly? The haggling scene, like I, I mean, now at I, this I point, thought that was cute. I thought that was cute. I, was cute. I, I mean, at this point, like, what parts of the movie did you enjoy? Because it seems like you maybe liked the back half more than the first half. Yes, I did. So I... talk about that. <laughs> if, you're, if, you're, if you're not going to make asinine complaints about this, like, the style of comedy, like, tell me what you actually liked. I enjoyed when he. I enjoyed when someone jokingly raises his hand and says, I'm Brian, when they're not Brian and they take him away. <laughs> During a crucifixion. <laughs> Ex- explicitly. And he's like, I'm no, Brian, no, no, no. and so's I was my wife. I was, <laughs> I was joking. I was joking. I'm taking him. That was funny. <laughs> um. <laughs> So, Christian, one of the more serious elements yeah. of Life of Brian, obviously this is an out-and-out comedy, but they are, uh, they actually leave Jesus be. It was, like, I, I read up a little bit on the behind-the-scenes and the writing process for the movie, and they really did not want to make a movie about Jesus, even though they wanted to make a, a you know, they wanted to sure. parody the biblical epic. They, the Pythons, although most of them I don't think were religious at all, um, let alone, like, Christians, um, I, I they apparently read the Bible and found Jesus to be a, a good teacher, if nothing else. They they appreciated his his thoughts on love and kindness and doing and loving your neighbor and those sorts of things. And so they didn't really want to they didn't want to make fun of Jesus or what he was about to do. And that's why he's played straight by a, a non comedic actor <laughs> in his brief appearance. But what they wanted to get at was how people easily can easily misinterpret the words of uh, religious leaders. How they could be driven to violence, <laughs> which is this is more the the uh, making fun of the left wing people in this movie, shall we say? Um, and how they can be driven to violence towards the wrong, you know, uh, the wrong type of people, and just how people can easily like be led astray by religion, even though it's supposed to be this thing that should uh, encourage us to love our neighbors and take care of those around us. I have so, no love in my heart. Great <laughs> Scottish <laughs> Christian. <laughs> Scottish Christian working on that second IPA. Don't do that. Don't blame it on the beer. So, I mean, did yes. you... Did, I'm curious. Because I, I actually found that to be, like, 
pretty thoughtful and provocative. And it's it's like not something okay. that I fully agree we, with at every step of the way, but I'm curious what you thought about that okay. like theme running through the movie. Weirdly, this was such a great takedown of different parts of humanity, of how people are so desperate to look for a savior that they will take anyone who remotely resembles anything to do so. I thought that was an amazing satirical bit. I thought that it was actually kind of biblical how people misinterpreting or being far away when someone says something like Jesus talking on that mountain and then being like, oh, sure. I think that actually does have to deal with things relating to the humanity. I think it was honestly kind of historically relevant when there are different revolutionary groups who are doing things within the same time. This movie did do its research. I just didn't think it was funny. I don't see why anyone would find something offensive with this movie. I think it's kind of respectful. I think that a lot of what it... That's the funny thing. <laughs> it's that like, yeah, I think... Okay. Life of Brian is Less... very respectful of Jesus, but it's not respectful of the people who follow him. And that's why Amazing. it caused problems okay. at the time and still. And if you know anything about the making of um, Holy Grail, you know how they call knights Kniggets? Yes. That is close to the Middle English pronunciation of it. It's supposed to be Knigg, but it is spelled it is spelled closely to that. The, the way in which Monty Python does its history is great. I mean, and yeah, these guys are all big. like, they all went to like Cambridge and Oxford. They're like I mean, super okay. smart. But also like, I truly hate Wayne's World, which is something that is based on a sketch that I think is stretched an hour and 20 minutes farther than it needs to be and I think this that, that's only an hour and 35 minute movie next month in on the podcast SNL Movies Month we're talking Wayne's World we're talking Night at the Roxbury we're talking uh, we're talking uh, what's the one with go for Forte? it I don't know um, McGruber that's the one but people actually like that one anyway people like Wayne's World too so I think that's the same thing here where I think that if I watched the Monty Python TV show I would love it I've seen a few episodes and I I did not keep up with it. I started. I mean, I did. I watched a few episodes years ago, but watching Life of Brian made me want to go back and and watch more because I love these guys and how funny they are. I just don't think it can stretch to an hour and a half long. I don't think the consistency narrative. I don't think the sketches hold up if you're trying to repeat the same joke eight times in an hour and a half. I don't think that you trying to find a footing halfway through the movie works. No, I don't think this movie is well structured. A, it's, a, that's, but your, it's, that's your screenwriter brain talking, buddy. Gotta get away from that. Gotta, gotta go live in comedy land for a little while. Go go with the flow. Relax. Structure. We need structure. Three acts. We're good with just one kind of vague... How thing. many times have I told you that I love Venom 2? Let there be carnage. Too many, to be frank. Do you think that movie has any structure? That movie is what I would call beautiful chaos. Sure. <laughs> it's uh, beautiful in its disorganization. Anyway, I'm with the 96%, you're with the 4, but that's Life of Brian, and it's streaming on Netflix, has been for a very long time. I think they have some sort of deal for Monty Python stuff, because Holy Grail is up there right now, as is the show, Monty Python's Flying Circus. So, I would encourage you to watch Life of Brian, it's very funny, and to watch more Flying Circus if you are so inclined. Christian. Yes. That brings January with Jesus to a close. Which means... We've made it through. 
Which means... Which means it's time for some Jesus Awards. Yay! Jesus I love that awards. we, like, retired awards, but you were like, no, we will have <laughs> Jesus Awards. Well, I, I am just curious, uh, just to see your thoughts on two, really. I want to know your your favorites or... I love the your best. third category, though. And I know you put LOL next to we're it. We're not actually going to talk about that one, Christian. But sure. my third category was Best Crucifixion, which we're not going <laughs> to... That might actually get me, like... Uh, churches might come find me and and uh, cancel me. You know what the saddest thing is? What? That is true. Yeah. So w- what I want to know is uh, your best picture, of course, but also your best or favorite portrayal of Jesus. Uh, we had Willem Dafoe in Last Temptation of Christ, Jim Caviezel in The Passion of the Christ, Nicholas Pinnock as a supporting role in Book of Clarence, and uh, <laughs> I'm already forgetting his name, Kenneth Colley, I believe, uh, in a cameo in Life of Brian. Okay. Would you want me to give my favorite portrayal of Jesus first? Yes. It has to be Jim Caviezel. It does have to be Jim Caviezel. I think that the way in which he took on all of that pain was cinematic. And I think that the makeup put on him, and I think that the humble way in which he spoke within that movie did move me. I don't cry at movies, and I didn't cry at this one, but when I get, when I, the eyes do feel like they could release a tear, I must respect the film. We'll get you one day, Christian. We're going to watch, we'll do Tear Jerkers Month, and we'll watch all the saddest movies that make you cry. Do you know the last movie that made me cry? No. It was Coco. If you if you have a heart, you cry at Coco because the ending of that movie is like all time gut punch. Uh, that that's that's a good movie to have cried at, Christian. Who was your favorite depiction of Jesus? I really wrestle with this one. Uh, I mean, I think I'm so impressed with Caviezel, despite my uh, reservations, my, my reservations and qualms with the Passion of the Christ overall. I really did enjoy Willem Dafoe's interpretation. I think although it's maybe not the most historically accurate Jesus, that it perfectly captures what Scorsese and Schrader are getting at in their adaptation of The Last Temptation of Christ. But honestly, maybe for the sake of controversy, I'm actually going to give it to Nicholas Pinnock in The Book of Clarence. He was amazing. Uh, He was incredible. Only a supporting part, but he manages to uh, capture this, uh, I would say very like Christian or traditional idea of Jesus as this... um, man like this man who was fully a human but also fully god had these supernatural powers and lived his life with a humble grace uh, and i think he captures that so well in the few scenes that he has and it made me wish there was a little bit more of him in the movie but even um he he appears in the final scene like he and mm-hmm. clarence have a final scene together that really moved me in a way i wasn't expecting from the book of clarence so i'm gonna go with nicholas pinnock and i will say this might be a little bit insane, but I'm actually, I'm like, do I give the Book of Clarence my best picture? <laughs> I don't know. But. I think I give Book of Clarence my best picture. Let's do it, Christian. Book of Clarence, best picture. Sorry to my guy Martin Scorsese. Uh, <laughs> yeah, sorry Mel Gibson. Sorry, no, not our guy Mel Gibson, but sorry <laughs> nonetheless. Uh, and even Life of Brian, um, I honestly, like, if you look at my Letterboxd reviews after this episode comes out, there's a chance that I give Life of Brian a higher star rating because I thought it was so good. But um, in terms of, like, my hope and anticipation for the Book of Clarence, expectations were both upended uh, by what I thought I was going to get and what I ultimately got. But my hope for the quality was totally met. And I I think it is, um, in its 
putting Jesus to the side and focusing on this person trying to take advantage of Jesus' fame. and Was a great use of yeah, Jesus. Yeah, fantastic use of Jesus. And what you got at, like you and I sort of had divergent opinions on Last Temptation and Passion, but felt something similar in that if you're trying to portray Jesus, you can kind of live up to the like religious understanding of him as this like divine man, as God on earth, or you can live up to a more human understanding of him. Um, and it, it, it Jesus it's hard to capture the book gravitas. Of Clarence was someone I can understand people following. Absolutely, yeah. And by having him as a more as more of a supporting character in the movie and focusing on somebody else at the center, I think it too helps you connect as another human. Like you connect to this flawed person. You don't have to worry about like, oh, is Jesus really divine and perfect? Like, no, you can focus on this other person who is not trying to be God, or they're maybe lying about being God. But um, I, I think that's that's partly why I'm giving the Book of Clarence my best picture with you. Anything else you wanted to say on the Book of Clarence before we wrap things up? No, because I'm excited for what we're going to do next. That's right. So if you are a follower of the show, you know that we alternate turns, kind of curating uh, the month. So my tag, tag, my keg, <laughs> my keg is tapped. I thought I was the one who had drank two beers. I know. No more drops of, of beer in the Jesus keg. But Christian, we now turn to you. I see that barrel under your arm. You're putting it down. You're getting ready to pour me a glass, except I have to wait another week. But what's coming up in February? All right, guys. I realized given all of the people that I talked to about this and how often I have to record this podcast. But I talk about Bradley Cooper quite a bit. That you do. Yes. And so <laughs> I thought, you know what? The first ever year that we did Cinema Drip, at the end of the year, we did a thing where we said, what, well, what blend of the month at that point we would do based on one of the movies we had talked about that year. And I said Bradley Cooper because we had rewatched Silver Lightning's Playbook. And I said, one day we will do a Bradley Cooper month. Now that we are cinema on top, we are going to do a Bradley Cooper month. Here we and go. We are going to start off by talking about him as a comedic actor. And we are going to do Wedding Crashers paired with The Hangover. Now, neither one of those movies is streaming anywhere. But guess what? It might be next month because this episode, the next episode will release on February 2nd, I believe. And given that, at the end of the month, after we look at the different faces of Bradley Cooper, 12-time Oscar nominee. Insane. <laughs> Insane. He And he's been nominated as actor in both leading and supporting roles as a director and as a writer and, and as a, a producer. producer is my guy needs to start composing music i need him to, <laughs> to okay. really really get all those nominated make some short films perhaps now at the end of that month we are going to be doing two things we are going to do an episode where we discuss the four whenever you go to a brewery and if you ask for a flight of beers, so four different beers that you want to check out in order to get a sense of what the brewery is like, they are normally going to give you four. So we're going to choose the four most essential Bradley Cooper performances in what I will call the Bradley Cooper flight. And because I know that you love renting out movies and watching them, I am going to say we should also do our top five Bradley Cooper performances. Okay. 
Going to be a lot of talk about all about Steve on that episode, Christian. So everybody catch up with that one. But. <laughs> the fact that the fact that I watched all about Steve, the way in which I watched all about Steve, is the funniest thing in the world to me and to you. And I, you'll get to talk about it on Bradley Cooper Month when it's both of our joint number one Bradley Cooper film uh, of all time. Uh, <laughs> uh, if you're not aware, All About Steve is a critically derided and uh, never rewatched movie starring Bradley Cooper and Sandra Bullock as his uh, stalker, basically. <laughs> not well regarded. The, the, the politics of that movie don't hold up. Stalking is not okay. I'm not afraid to say it, Christian. I'll take that stand. But Bradley Cooper is going to be the focus of our February as Christian builds an anticipation and in light of what we've done this month, uh, praise to, to Jesus a lot to get Bradley an Oscar win in March. We'll have to see if that comes true. But we'll talk about one of Christian's favorites and, let's face it, uh, an actor and filmmaker that I also really, really like. And I'm looking forward to talking about a lot more on the show next month. I'm a little disappointed you didn't do Argyle Month, where we talk about Argyle three separate times, um, but, you know, I'll just have to hope for a Bradley Cooper cameo in Argyle, and maybe he is the real Agent Argyle, and if he then I can fit it in. If he was the real Agent Argyle, <laughs> if Bradley Cooper is the real Agent Argyle, automatic favorite movie of the year. So, folks... But you've told me that if Argyle's my favorite movie of the year, we need to end the podcast. Yeah, that would actually... I, w- I would just be like, we're done. I'm going to go solo pod or something. I'll figure something else out, but... I'm You're sure never going to stop potting with me. That sounds like a threat. And until next time, <laughs> folks, <laughs> where we're talking Bradley Cooper, thanks for listening. We hope you really enjoyed our January with Jesus. Obviously, a little controversial, a little provocative, a little unconventional from what we uh, normally talk about, and... Just a weird way to start the year, but hope you had a good time revisiting some of these classics and more modern films with us. If you have a a film about the life of Jesus that you like or found interesting or thoughtful, send it in. We'd love to get those listener thoughts. Um, I know we didn't do a ton of outside homework for this, Christian, but I actually watched a movie called Last Days in the Desert, which stars Ewan McGregor in a dual role as Jesus and Satan tempting Jesus where uh, it's a fictional episode where Jesus stumbles across his family in the desert and tries to help them out before ending his 40 days of fasting in the desert. In my opinion, not uh, not one I would recommend, but a lot of like people that I like on Letterboxd have given it much higher star ratings and more positive reviews. So if you ever want to see you and Rivera play Jesus, watch Last Days in the Desert. Uh, but if, you, if there's a Jesus movie you like, send it in. CinemaOnTapPodcast at gmail.com. We are regularly checking that email, looking for listener feedback. Not just for your thoughts in the current month, but if there's a movie you want us to cover on the show, we'd love to know that. It helps us plan this thing. And if maybe you have an idea for a whole keg that we could tap over a month, like you like Bradley Cooper, but you like Christian Bale more, Christian will be really happy if you if you want us to do that, because Christian Bale is one of his favorite actors. And we and would Christian Bale and Bradley Cooper have been announced to be starring in an upcoming movie called The Best of Enemies, which it is uncertain, but I think it is rumored Bradley Cooper might try to direct it. It will be interesting to see him, if he does direct it, step out of the music realm. Other than that, Yo, we can watch American Hustle and do like a crossover <laughs> between the two. But seriously, if you have ideas for what we should talk about on the show, send it in cinema on tap podcast at gmail.com. Is we would there really a movie? It. Is there a movie concept you think I would like more than Bradley Cooper and Christian Bale as competing spies? Yes, Bradley Cooper and Christian Bale and Michael Keaton in a beautiful polyamorous relationship. That might be your favorite film of all time, Christian. 
what about where all three of them are pining after Shakira? I stand corrected. <laughs> of course, there are a few things that you can do to support the show. Please do subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have the option, leave us a rating or a review. Helps us reach new listeners on all these platforms. And we just sincerely appreciate the support. Uh, I said the email thing. So the other thing you can do is follow us on social media. I am on Twitter, and so is the show. Christian is on Instagram, and the both of us are on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the things that we're watching. I have been watching a lot of 50s movies uh, to start this year. Christian, you've been watching any any particular type of movie lately? I've been watching kind of some TV shows. Right now, though, I think that my roommate really wants to watch the 2014 Godzilla, so I think that's what we're going to try to watch tonight. Great choice. I hope you enjoy it and give it a full five-star review, which our I just realized listeners can go read when you post it on Letterboxd. I just realized this, well, today when my roommate told me that Aaron Taylor Johnson is the lead in Godzilla and that Brian Cranston plays his father? Yeah. I did not know that. Yeah. Go, go check it out. Uh, Elizabeth Olsen is Aaron Taylor Johnson's lady. Oh, he He's told me that the worst part of this movie is that while they are, um, while they are married in this film... The year after this, they are siblings in Age of Ultron. Yeah, yeah. Not, you know, it's not. There's nothing wrong with that, but it feels wrong, you know. <laughs> anyway, folks, Bradley Cooper's coming up in February, so get excited. Get your uh, get your favorite blaster for Rocket Raccoon and get ready to roll. And until next time, this has been Cinema on Tap. Thanks for listening. <laughs>